Hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Craig Moorhead. And I'm Sean Harwell, and this is the show where we catch up on the movies that we missed. You can find us online at Twitter at NeverPodcast, and come visit our website, NeverHeardPodcast.com. So today, we have uh, our second guest on the podcast. Today we have Damian Leahy, writer-director of uh, some stuff that we're going to be talking about here in a second, and the movie he suggested is one called Shadows in the Palace, a movie from 2007 out of Korea, and... uh, We've got a lot to talk about there. So yes. Um, yes, we do, Craig. So let's get straight to Damien, and let's figure out what he's all about. Hey, guys. Uh, first, I want to say uh, thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. Absolutely. It's great to have you, man. I'm honored yeah. to be here, and um, especially because um, it's Sean Harwell. I haven't seen you since I was in college, right? So uh, this is great, Craig. I, I I spend quite a bit of time hanging out with, so um, but not 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 in this context. So uh, I mean, this is fun. I've really been enjoying the the uh, podcast so far. I think it's a great concept you. you guys have from awesome. the beginning. Thank you. Thank you. So well, uh, cool yeah, th- and thank you for ch- yeah. You chimed in pretty immediately when we started taking suggestions, and uh, I think you hit us with a couple that we had never heard of. So we were excited to have you on and talk about uh, this journey that you're on as a filmmaker. Um, so I don't know, Craig. You want to dive right into that? I'm kind of curious because yeah. uh, you know, might as well go ahead and say it. Craig has recently worked with Damien. And I don't know, Craig, maybe that's a good good place to start, how you sort of got uh, involved collaborating again uh, together um, as filmmakers. Well, absolutely. I mean, so the three of us, we all went to the same school. So that's pretty much how we know each other. Elementary school, right? We were all in the same daycare. <laughs> right. uh, and and I, I obviously knew that Damien had been involved in a movie uh, some years ago called Cocaine Angel that you wrote and starred in, as I remember. We'll post that on the site. Um, but then uh, just a few years ago now, 2011 maybe, uh, you gave me a call because you had written something and you wanted to get me involved. And man, that was like the perfect time to be calling me I can say that for sure. So uh, let's let's maybe start there. So you called me in 2011. You had written Heroes of Arvine Place. Yeah, this is actually a cool story because I had wanted uh, Craig to direct this movie. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm not big on uh, the acting thing, but I had done the acting for uh, Michael Tully and uh, Cocaine Angel. And I had done a couple – I did a couple of short films after that where I had written them and somebody else directed. And I was, I had, was doing some freelance screenwriting stuff. And um, I had the Heroes of Arvine place – and um, at that time, I, I, I didn't know whether or not I, I, I should act in that film or, you know, if I should direct it or I certainly didn't want to be director or actor. <laughs> the ego of Damien doesn't really require that sort of thing to. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I, I'm not really comfortable with that in general. Yeah. Um, I think there's certain things that people need psychologically uh, when they're actors or actresses. And I think there's a certain psychological need that people require when they're acting and directing in their own stuff. And um, like, 
like a, like a big trailer and like satellite TV <laughs> and awesome craft services, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that doesn't really <laughs> a, lot a lot of money. <laughs> but I wish that went along with my productions, Sean. Sure. And I'm, 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 I'm flattered if you think it does. But, um, but no, so I actually – I was um, – I asked Craig if he wanted to direct the film. And then Craig actually gave me the best advice. And he was like, whatever you do with this film is what you're going to be doing. So if you're going to act in this film, that's pretty much what, what you're going to be doing. And then if you direct this film, that's what you're going to be doing. And I had already um, developed material with Cullen Moss in mind. So and he is the lead actor of uh, Heroes of Our yeah, Vine Place, yes. right? Okay. Yes, he's the lead actor of Heroes of Our Vine Place. So I actually had a conversation. I, I was at my parents' house visiting with my um, now ex-fiance. But um, I had that conversation with Craig there, and then I asked her what her advice was, and, and she told me that I should um, – she was like, well, what do you feel comfortable with? And I was like, I'm, I'm not really comfortable with the acting thing just in general, even though I enjoy doing it. It's just not uh-huh. something – it's not something that I'm comfortable with um, right. in regards to how I'm perceived. I'm just not comfortable with that as much as I would be just behind the scenes directing or what have you. Okay. And that's how that happened. I feel that way about podcasting, I think. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It's all fun and games when you're doing it, and then you listen to it, and like hearing yourself is a little difficult. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so, so that's pretty much how that happened, and so Craig volunteered actually to cut the film. Oh, oh wow. wow! Nice, Craig. I did. Well, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dean. And uh, Craig, uh, Craig came forward because um, did I ask you to edit that film? or did i force my way in um that's a good question i i don't remember i don't remember exactly that you did ask me although i feel like the way we were talking about it maybe you did maybe maybe whenever when you know because because like because we talked about that movie a lot it it seems like because like i read it it seemed like we had at least like a number of phone conversations because you wanted to be involved in it somehow yeah yeah, I, I may have asked you. I may have just said, you know, what if I like put together a team and 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 try and get this yes. done? Because like I didn't feel like I could do it myself in the amount of time we had. But I just I, I so badly wanted to be editing features in general, and right. then uh, you know I, I really liked the script and I liked you know what you had lined up, and I was just like that. That's what I should be doing. I shouldn't let this go. Well, Damon, let me back up just a second too because um, I'm always kind of interested just in conceptually how these things kind of come about. Um, I just I just sat down and finally watched your movie yesterday and really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, if I can pitch it back to you, it's a drama about a um, recently widowed husband uh, of two kids who's struggling financially and it's, it, this is happening right around Christmas, and there, uh, he is an aspiring children's author who has placed highly in a contest, and there's a situation where he's going to get to meet a very well-respected children's author in the industry, and with the hopes of being picked as the winner of this contest and winning, you know, a bit of a book deal and, and some money, and, um, you know, it's it's basically happening at the time of dire need for this guy um i don't know if that's fair or not but that's what i took away from the film and i really really enjoyed it and what about that where did this story come from 
uh, well, about 10, 10 years ago, I was actually seeing somebody who had, um, who had three kids. She had three um, daughters. I was watching them one Saturday while she was at work, and I was working on a children's book at the time. Okay. And while I was sitting there doing that, I came up with the genesis for the story. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that the children's book that I was working on at the time later became the screenplay for Children for a Day, that short film. And at that same time, I had recently finished the screenplay for Cocaine Angel. And me, me and Michael talked briefly about doing the Heroes of Arbine play story. Mm-hmm. And then that wasn't something that we wanted to do. And I wrote uh, – I had written some screenplays. I had I'd written a, a Simple Vengeance was a screenplay that I wrote for uh, Cullen Moss and Robert Longstreet. That was an extremely dark uh, child abuse <laughs> vengeance thing. A comedy. Yeah. And then I had, ri- yeah, I, I had, I had written um, – I, I also wrote a script called Bad Girl Missing in a Bad Town. Um, Bad Girl Missing in a Bad Town was um, kind of like a – cross between it was like white trash sam spade like follow-up to cocaine angel kind of business mm-hmm. yeah. and then i also wrote the heroes of arvine place and then i wound up optioning uh simple vengeance and then bad girl missing in a bad town was too much like cocaine angel and then at the same time i didn't want to i mean you're gonna be pushing a boulder up a hill right and there's gonna be a strong percentage that you're not going to be getting exactly what you want and you're going to you're going to be showing your ass a bit okay mm-hmm. fair enough so if i'm going to show my ass if i went ahead and did a dark nasty child abuse movie and i didn't pull that off it would be very hard to get the audience to forgive that sure um, so if I did the Children's of Ar- if, I, if I did the Heroes of Arvine Place, and you know there was some rough around the edges stuff, it would be more forgivable to an audience. And also, you know, there's always the chance that you're not going to get another chance. And <laughs> yes, with the Heroes of Arvine Place, I saw that it had more opportunities to open doors than close doors. Even if right. it fails, that's really smart. Okay, well let's let's talk about. I, I think it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I mentioned this to Craig this morning. I think I, your film it feels really really assured to me. Um, like it it just feels confident and the performances are good. I don't feel like you're over asking uh, your actors to to do something that's beyond anybody's realm, or you're not slipping into melodrama. It's just really really confident and assured. Uh, but now walk us through, it's in the can, you shot it, okay, you know, I think people would be curious to know because it just always gets asked uh, what your budget was. But then it's in the can, Craig starts editing it, does an awesome job. What, what was the life of this movie like after you had a, a cut that was locked that you liked and you, and you started trying to figure out how to navigate the market a little bit? Well, as Craig said after he saw the footage, he was like, you definitely shot that script. So I didn't go into it with a lot of like – this wasn't something where I was letting my lead actor explore. You know, I was (laughs) – you know, I I, I was using 
this is something where you know you 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 kind of get together with your friends. So there's non-actors and things like that. In the park scene, we allowed for that to happen, but I wasn't doing a lot of like stuff where I was like, "Whoa, let's go like Altman," and you know, I know a parade <laughs> that's going on down in St. Augustine. Let's go, let's right. go exploring. You know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of that. It was pretty much straight to the script. Um, the main thing that really saved our ass was that the the way that it was originally intended because here here's what happens with these low budget things these micro budget films is that you don't have one of the luxuries you don't have is picking up stuff mm-hmm. so the main reason the reshoots why, yeah yeah so like low budget films are always shorter just because they can't go out and, and, and reshoot stuff that doesn't pan out. You know what I mean? It's not because their scripts are shorter. Their scripts, the screenplays for micro-budget films are always the same length, but they're always shorter movies because like, stuff doesn't work out and they have to lop the entire scene off to save yeah. face. Right. Okay? So we had to deal with some of that. And then... Um, which is just the nature of, of, of the beast, you know? But um, originally, my my uh, buddy that did the illustrations for the children's book, mm-hmm. those weren't going to be used until the end credits. Yeah. Oh, I love that sequence, though. I'm, I'm so glad that it... I mean, was that just out of necessity? But uh, <laughs> it's a great Some sequence. of that was out of necessity, Sean. <laughs> okay. Well, it works really well. I liked it a lot, yeah. <laughs> you got to thank Craig. I had wonderful people... You know, Craig, uh, of course, who cut the film together, and uh, Tarina Reed, who we went to school with, shot that. Yeah, it looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks great. You know, I know you guys have a Blu-ray. Uh, I think isn't the movie on Amazon as well? It the is. movie's on Amazon, and it's. It, I think it's on Roku and a number of other platforms as well, like Google Play. How did you? How do you get on those places? I think a lot of people want to know because I don't think, you know, most people. It, it really, they make a movie, they think, well, I, it, it lives or die at a festival. And that's, I don't think that's going to be necessarily the case anymore. And I hope it's not because of new media, you know. Um, we got a distribution company. Mm-hmm. So the, and they handled all of that? The distribution company handled all of that for us. You know, I think it's, I, it's funny because I hear you guys has, we're, we're, we're speaking with Todd about like, breaking through and like cutting through with all the stuff that's out there and um yeah but i think this is the best time for for filmmakers Mm. and i really think um i mean you have to meter your expectations you Mm -hmm. have to set the proper expectations for yourself or you're gonna lose but i really think that this is the best time for filmmakers because they can get into the business of film in whatever capacity they're most comfortable with and they just want to get their toes wet and, and, and they're comfortable with that, they can go ahead and do that. If they want to go a different route and they want to climb whatever ladders they need to to be a staff writer for CSI Miami, they can go ahead and do that. You know, if they yeah. want to try to go a studio route, they can do that. If they want to go you know, and use independent film to, to be on the board of film festivals, they can do that. You know, I think um, I think it's pretty much open. I don't think people should have the expectations and from a fiscal sense, um, but there's a there there's a, lar- a larger picture there that people ignore, 
And that is the fact that in the history of the world, for, for, for the majority of time, people that are associated with the arts don't make money. Right. Our, our generation happened to live right. during a period of time where more people in the arts got paid than ever before in the history of the world. And probably ever after, it seems like. Well, yeah, the pendulum... <laughs> from now, yeah. The pendulum is simply shifting back to where it was, okay? Mm-hmm. So if your big hang-up, if your big hang-up is I have to be making a living at this, then you're probably not going to get very far, you know? If you're okay with having a job and then you can still make your films... I mean, if, if 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 you can't wrap your head around that, then you're probably not going to survive in, in the modern landscape unless you're born into the business or you're incredibly lucky. I think it's important that we mention that you are uh, not only way way out of Los Angeles. You know, you're in Florida, which doesn't necessarily jump to mind as even to me anyway, where where a lot of production is, is happening. Um, and yet, so so part of your reason to to stay there has that been simply, yeah, this is what I want to do. I mean, I you know, I'm not in Los Angeles either, and it's kind of this for me. It's like, uh, I I'm happier somewhere else. That's a good question because I mean, I'm I'm from here. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, um, but the my my family's here. But the cost of living here, like I have a lot of good job opportunities. Mm-hmm. But the uh, cost of living here is am- amazing, right? So I can right. I can work here and I can make a good income, you mm-hmm. know. On top of which, I also you know I, I teach low budget film classes at at the University of North Florida. I, I do stuff like that. I work regular That's jobs awesome. when I yeah. work, but I'm I'm able to take that money and put it into my own projects. You know, I mean, Soccer Moms in Peril, the last short that I did was shot in Los Angeles, and the short film we're doing in January is shooting in Los Angeles. But I'm able to do that and afford to do that and live comfortably because I'm not in Los Angeles. That's the ultimate irony, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I, I would argue also that you have, you, you, you're establishing this track record. Right, I mean, you went, you went feature. We we did we did soccer moms. We're gonna do this short uh, next year, and you have this track record right now because because you are pretty much taking care of the financing yourself. You're you're not having to put together business plans and go out and beg for money, or kickstartering anything. You're not waiting for anything to happen. You're you're making it so that you get the money uh, yourself and you go shoot this stuff. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have a. Um... I don't feel comfortable with Kickstarter things simply because I don't I don't buy into the idea that being an independent filmmaker puts me in a class above above a majority of people. I don't there's a certain elitism that goes with that crowd that whole that I I just don't believe inherently. If you if you go back to if you look at Robert Altman, Sam Peckinpah, Fellini, you know Leone, you look at these these directors. They all tell completely different stories, right? But the one thing they have in common, if you read biographies, is that mm-hmm. they genuinely love people. 
They love people at their best and they love people at their worst. They are fascinated by people. They just love people. And I think that's missing from a lot of the new filmmakers. Their, 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 their stories suffer because they're made by people that inherently believe they're better than everybody else. You know? Yeah. And I think it I think on, 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 on a certain level it cripples their uh their storytelling ability. I think there's also a set that loves movies more than they love people. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know, uh, well you can see it in, in the work too. It's uh you know, it's it's a movie that's sort of based on another movie almost, uh more than it's based on anything in real life. And uh yeah. it'd be nice to see that shift a little bit. I agree with that, Sean. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was just talking to somebody the other day about the um, we're certainly in the referential age. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh yes, absolutely. Where everything is is solely based on um, emotions and, and, and experiences um, only had through the material it's referencing. I think, and it's funny because I was I was talking about that movie uh, with Craig Crimson Peak by Guillermo del Toro. He made a movie, The Devil's Backbone, and I I got to meet him at the premiere of that film at the Austin Film Festival years ago. I I was there with uh, with um, Tukel, you know, oh, yeah. Warner Tukel, and I. Uh, produced Ding a Lingless, this comedy. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, I produced that movie, and I was there for the the premiere. But like the Devil's Backbone had real, had like a real backstory that had to do with Guillermo del Toro's life and heritage and all of this, and you could see that in the film, and it came through. But the impetus for like Crimson Peak is nothing but references to other movies. There's no beating right. heart of, 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 of his life in that as, say, there wasn't a Devil's Backbone. And I think you, you can see it. That's a, that's a recent example of you can see how there's something missing. Well, I actually, it's funny you mentioned that, I wrote down Devil's Backbone in my notes on the movie that we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't know if... If this should be our official segue, Craig, do you got anything else for Damien on the note of Man, filmmaking? Yeah, I, I do. I do have Probably one last question things. that I would, yeah. that I'd, I'd kind of like to get into with with any guest we have, uh, and that's mainly, you know, what what was kind of your path to film, and what are your movies? Obviously, not the ones you've made, but like, what are the movies that that made things kind of click for you, and you're just like, this is how I got to tell stories. Um, I've, I've probably, if there was like, uh, like there's like, there's movies that I've seen and I'm like, man, that's a great movie. And then there's movies I've seen that when I watched them, it like transformed my, like it changed my life. And I would have to say the first time that I saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest is probably, uh, Mm. when I was like 11 years old is uh, above and beyond probably, um, like when I think about how I felt that first time that I watched it, like nothing can compare to that. Like I couldn't believe that that could be done. How did you see that when you were 11? I saw it on uh, TV. Okay. I saw it on TV with, with commercials and when during watching it <laughs> while, while, while we were watching it, my, my parents would fill me in on the scenes they had cut out. 
Gotcha. And uh, the other, Suspiria uh, by Dario Argento. Um, When I first saw that, that was absolutely incredible. That was one of those moments where I was like, I, you know, things are completely different. And then um, the first time that I saw Clint Eastwood and with two mules for Sister Sarah, that was on HBO. And I had never yeah. seen Clint Eastwood in anything. I was nine years old and I saw two mules for Sister Sarah and I would like, was like, uh, became obsessed with him. I was like, I cannot believe anybody is that cool. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. Right. The other ones would be I actually anticipated this question. So I wrote notes. Let's go I wrote one down by 143 one. films that I feel Start at 37. No, no, no. Okay. There's only a couple more. Start at 37. There's there's only a couple more. I I, I promise. Sure. But uh, I had I, I had the same thing for when I saw Once Upon a Time in America the first time, mm-hmm. which I think is is the best movie ever made. I think that movie's absolutely incredible. And then uh, a night at the opera with the Marx Brothers. After that, I had to watch all their films. I had to buy every biography. I mean, I couldn't get enough of the Marx Brothers after that. And then uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. When I first saw that, it was one of those things where I was like, "What is this?" You know, I had to get mm-hmm. every book, every you know, all the scripts. You know, yeah, go down a rabbit hole with that. So those are those would probably be. Um, in regards to movies where it was like, man, this has completely changed. Like, I've got to go out and read everything. I've got to go out and find whatever I can by all these guys. And The Wild Bunch is probably up there, too. That was a big deal for me. And then uh, I guess the last one would be Crimson Peak, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leading up to... <laughs> I, I do want to say... Number 101. I, I do. But, I mean, I, mean, I do want to say that, um, that that being said, I, I obviously don't... <laughs> in any way make make uh, films on the level of Guillermo del Toro. I was just trying to well, <laughs> use that yeah. as an example of um, having uh, real-life experiences behind your, uh, the, your source material. Indeed. Uh, gentlemen, I think it's time. Let's shift and let's talk about this movie, Shadows in the Palace, from 2007. give our listeners a brief summary courtesy of the internet movie database because i feel like there is no length of summary that will probably do this movie justice and completely explain the various twists of this thing but we're gonna let this person give it a shot during the chosun period a court lady is found dead hanging by the rafters of the palace after examining the dead body palace physician chun ryong and look Yes, this is a Korean movie. Right now, we're apologizing to every listener of every ethnicity because we're going to butcher some of these, okay? (laughs) Discovers that the dead maid was probably murdered and carries out an investigation even though her higher-ups pressure her to close the case as suicide. Um, It was directed by Mi Jong Kim, a female director. I think this is the only movie she has listed as a directing credit. Um... It is a little bit difficult to find. We will hook you up with a link. I found one today online um, on our Facebook page and make sure you guys get a chance to see this. But Damien, you got to start with where the hell did you hear about this thing? 
And when did you see it? Actually, it's 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 very obvious how I saw it, considering the film is completely unavailable. I act. Okay. I actually watched this on demand with my parents when it first came out. <laughs> yeah. It, it was actually during an afternoon, and we watched the film, and I was like, "Wow!" I I had gone through a phase where I was watching a lot of these movies. I'm glad when I rewatched it uh, the other day that it held up for me. Uh-huh. I was I was worried that um, the reason I liked it so much was it was just because it was, it was a breath of fresh air. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but there's an entire subgenre of films um, that they make in South Korea and Asia. You guys have seen The Ring, right? Sure. Yes. yes. Well, in South Korea especially, they've got scores of movies, you know, whether it's, you know, cello, phone, cell phone, the red shoes. (laughs) Haunted objects. Yes. And basically there's always, you know, an object and behind the object, there's a a story of, of, you know, a teenage, you know, girl whose, whose love has betrayed her or family member has betrayed her and whoever comes upon the object you know, has has bad things happen to them in the guise of the, you know, the archetype of the Japanese, I mean, the Asian schoolgirl with the nightgown and the stringy black hair and the jerky movements and all that. You know, there's, whether it's the eye, you know, locker, one, two, three, Tomei. The dumplings. I mean, there you could go on and the, on. The dumplings. Wait, the dumplings. Are there haunted dumplings? <laughs> and are they delicious? Yeah. The characters it, it, in the movie love them, but they pay for it later, brothers. Oh uh, well, of course. So when I saw this film, I was expecting more of the same because I had I, I I had literally all the South Korean movies that I was watching were all the same. Already, we know you watched uh, Cuckoo's Nest at age 11 with your parents, so I'm thinking your parents are pretty cool. How do you sell them on watching a, uh, a South Korean movie that may or may not be about a stringy-haired murder, murdered girl uh, haunting dumplings? Uh, in this case, so what did, you, did they were just like, you just pick whatever you want to, honey, and you put it on? Like, How does that go down, exactly? This movie was sold as a um, the description played up the mystery aspect of it my mom is actually um not horror friendly sure well most moms yeah so it was billed as a mystery and i was in the mood for because i was burnt out on all these south korean ghost girl movies i i mean i was into (laughs) the idea of that that aspect of this film been effective when it did show up. Yes. Right. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I, I, I didn't read anything really about it before we watched it, and I watched it with my wife, who also happens to be Korean. And, yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea it was there was going to be any horror element at all. Like, I thought it was just going to be, you know, kind of that... Uh, I thought it was just going to be kind of a look behind the palace walls type thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. here's how the politics there play out. And there's a lot of tension with that. But, yeah, I mean, once it starts getting supernatural, it was just, uh, I mean, obviously it worked. But it was it was a good surprise. Should we attempt to, oh, God, how do we sort of set up the basic premise of this movie? Well. You want to take a crack at it, anybody? Let me let me jump into this because okay. I, I have to confess <clears throat> I don't know. I have to confess my weakness, okay? 
here's the thing. For dumplings? <laughs> I love dumplings. No, but uh, I, so I watched this with my wife. We're, there were two people there to think this out, okay? It's a beautifully done movie. It's really well told, okay? The worst thing I can say about it is the, the version I was watching was really compressed. So I didn't really see the beauty of what definitely looked like just beautiful photography. Mm-hmm. So we watched the first scene. There's a woman in the woods clearly giving birth completely by herself. Stick in the mouth to keep her from biting her own tongue off, basically. Or she's like, like wrapped her hands around a, 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 a piece of like cloth that's tied around a tree just to like give her strength to do it. Great opening. Tons of tension. That happens. She's running back to the palace. Shortly thereafter, you hear sort of echoey, dreamy babies crying. Uh, and then she looks into a well, and there's the title. And then, and then everything that started happening after that, I became so lost for like the next 15 minutes. I, I couldn't straighten out who was who. But what happens after that is six years later. Yes. Right. No, I, 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 I totally understand that. I assume but, we were picking up with all new characters. Well, and, 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 and that's kind of the thing. And, and the only thing that makes me feel good about this is that my own fully Korean wife <laughs> is having the exact same problem, which is I couldn't tell a lot of people apart. Like I, when someone new was on the screen, I was like, wait a second, is that the same lady from the thing? Because they generally have uniforms on and their hair is a certain yeah. way or they have something on their head. And then if the thing comes off their head, then they have a ponytail and they're in a different thing. And I'm like, I don't know who that is now. <laughs> like I was like face blind through the first 20 minutes. What I thought was nice about the beginning is that, and I fell for it again, watching it this time was yeah. that when I first watched it and I saw the opening sequence, I was like, Oh man, it is going to turn out to be another one of these. <laughs> yeah. And then, and because then, she looks down into a well, was that it? Or, well, or what was it? well, just how like how dramatic it was. Sure. And then it opened with you know the girl like looking in on them, making love. And then yeah. once it went into the scene where they were like gossiping and making jokes and all that, I was like, oh wait a minute, I, I mean I can go with this tone because they were kind of like making fun of it and. Most of those films never do that. Like, ne- like never have that kind of self-awareness. So yeah. I-, I was like, okay, I mean, this is different. But it's cool because watching it again, I was nervous that I, that like maybe time, you know, <laughs> right. was 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 going to work against me, and I had just like thrown a turkey in your laps. So I felt good when it got to that point again this time when I was watching it and I was like relieved. I was like, okay, man, this is going to be cool. That being said, I did confuse because the beginning almost sets you up as if that one girl is going to be the main character, not the nurse. Right. And then they push that girl into the background and then the nurse to the foreground. But it's confusing for a little bit. It is. Well, and then, but also because then the story still revolves around someone having a baby. And so a, a, a lot of the time when we were there, so so not long after this, they find, uh, uh, what, what is it, a court maid? Hanging from these rafters. And so the, so the first thing I think is, oh, okay, that's a girl who we just saw giving birth, but then that didn't really work out in my head anyway. So, so anyway, I, I'm not going to explain the entire time how, how lost I was because that's going to get really boring. But um, <laughs> but I, I guess, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at this. 
anyone who sits down to watch this movie, and you definitely should, because I really think it was really well done, just really buckle down for those first 20 minutes and pay attention. Just really pay attention. Uh, It'll pay off. Agreed. But so that's kind of the next big movement. You know, we, we, we start to learn about what this world is like and how under pressure these girls are. And it's you, you have to be completely celibate. Uh, you, you, you dedicate your entire life to the running of this palace. And, and you're completely submissive to the whole thing, um, to, the, to the royal family. Uh, to the king, who, as far as, I can, as far as I remember, and I was thinking about this after the movie, you never see him out of bed except at the very end. Is that true? Yeah. I, I think I, you're I, right. I, I mean, I thought he's, that he's was like this man great. Just laying around while all the women are doing everything that makes this place run, and he, the king, is just like generally laying and sleeping. I thought that was great. <laughs> that definitely. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I yeah, love it. Yeah, like they're all submissive, but if they weren't there, nothing would happen. Like it was. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I, I kind of loved that through the whole thing. Um, but okay, so they find the girl hanging from the rafters, and obviously this causes a huge shock. Take it, Damien. Well, basically, um, so, so they, they... Is that where you got lost, Craig? <laughs> yeah. and then I, then I don't remember a single Jesus. thing that happened after that. That's like three know. minutes into the movie. <laughs> and they come across a... Um, it, it almost becomes like an Agatha Christie novel. Yes. And what I thought was really good about this film and what I really enjoyed about watching it again... When I was reading reviews of it on IMDb, they like compare it to like a... a you know, like a an episode of CSI or something. And what's great about the movie is that it takes it like two steps further. Like it, yeah. it, it really is smart enough in the way that it, it blends its, its uh, threads, its narrative threads in regards to the mystery together. So that it's not really, I mean, aside from the fact that you have a little difficulty because the way they're dressed, they kind of look the same. Sure. Okay, so let's just – that's a superficial thing that that we can push aside. That's my problem generally. Yeah, but go ahead. The, the plotting of it is incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. and not forced and it's not trying to be too clever for its own good. Right. And at the same time, it weaves a ghost story in there <laughs> without fucking anything up. And that is amazing. I mean, the the thing that's 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 really great about the way it's told, and and really the um, what what had to be great for the folks like writing it and making it, is in this world, in this royal palace, you do you have all these rules, you have all these things that that if you do this, it means that if you have a child, you're going to be executed. Yeah. If you steal something, we're going to cut your hands off. And 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 you have this world where every single character, it, it seems like every single character wants something that's in conflict with somebody else. So it's right. like you can't have a scene with two characters without you know them having to work against each other yeah that's um, true that's and, a good and you point. feel that in every scene i mean there, there are so there's so many turns and not not like big twists but there's so many turns and and so many characters to uh to keep up with 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 what they're doing but but yeah i mean it was it was startling that that um that this ghost situation started happening um and i'd love to go back and watch again because i don't always remember exactly what was happening when sort of that cloud would start to happen? You know, like a, I don't yeah. really know exactly what the triggers for that were, um, which I think would be interesting to to figure out. But that's the thing. So so they find this they find this girl dead, and they're basically told the nurse who's working on it is basically told, "Look, this is a suicide." And the nurse from the get go doesn't believe that. She believes it's a murder. 
And so that's how it, it kind of becomes this case that she's not supposed to be investigating, which is which is great. And it's, it's kind of run of the mill for a detective story, but not when it's in this world. So well, not and when the the uh, the deceased is a woman who pr- has very likely given birth, right? And so in that world specifically, like yeah. that's I mean that's just such a common thread here is is this idea of sex and then uh, yeah and uh, you know pregnancy and and menstruation cycles come up and everything and it all kind of yeah it's like you're saying it works together. I mean it, it is really I I kind of. I didn't think about Agatha Christie, but I did definitely think of like a detective movie in a weird way, um, because that's essentially what this nurse character is. I mean, she is pushing the mystery of trying to figure out who killed this this uh, this girl, and when she does, it's then figuring out how to to prove it. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's it's dense, but the twists are satisfying, the turns are, are interesting, and. Man, if if nothing else, it it really goes to show what a good good setting can provide a sort of common setup that we've seen a thousand times. Yeah, yeah um, very true. Yeah, it's like you're saying, Craig. Every scene has conflict because of that this caste system, basically, in this patriarchal society here, where everybody has a place and everybody has a superior. With the exception of the sleepy king, and a brutal superior for the most part, you know, there's a lot of just savagery, uh, just mean, cruel torture, punishment. There's a ritual every year where a maid is usually killed. It seems like, Um, and so that you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's to me that stuff was way more horrific than any of the ghost story. Uh, There is by far the most uh, unnerving fingernail scene short of Cronenberg's The Fly. And I, I mean, I'm man, I, yeah. I, cr- I cannot like that stuff. Drive, like fingernails, toenails no. are like that, my weakness. I had to look away uh, and, from that. Well, it's a good yeah. one here. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like it, it doesn't, it kind of feels like at the beginning, it, it kind of feels like um, aside from the birth in the woods, I guess I was relating it kind of uh, to, um, uh, Downton Abbey, which is... Uh, I thought of that too, yeah. Yeah. Or Gosford Park, the Altman movie. Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Uh, again, mainly because it's so interesting to me to see the politics of that kind of thing happening. But then, yeah, but then once they really step in, you know, it's it's not just that they say, okay, well, now we're going to torture her, and then you hear her screaming from another room. Like, you're watching extended moments of pins being jabbed under fingernails and blood coming out. Of, like, it is, it's it's... A, a gore, gory horror movie for those moments, and then other moments it feels as, uh, I mean, it, it, it could it could be clips from you know like uh, the foreign Oscar winner, you know, I mean, right. yes, yeah. So which which was a great uh, an incredible mix, and so you basically have this one character who is the head of all the maids, and she's trying to tamp down on this whole story, and at the same time figure out what's what what it was that was going on right she doesn't she doesn't have any idea what has actually happened like there are only three people who know well, and one of them is now dead but i i think by the end of it she does have a stake in this story because she is the sister of the girl that died no. right or she's that, that's know, that, the, the uh, headmistress headmistress that's the mistress. but but the one who's in charge of the maids who is in charge of finding someone to the one head yeah, every year yeah she was she's a different character right right well there were there were <laughs> I still don't okay. Know. well okay. there 
<laughs> Mistress He Jin, Mistress Yeah, he Mistress He Bin is not the same as the lady yeah. who tortures everybody. Right. No, Correct. and then the I mistress think. herself has her own personal woman that turns out to be the main bad guy. Right. Which yeah. Is so good. Yeah. The concubine right. and then it's her like advisor. You, you, like, yeah. And I love that kind of thing where, where, you know, you have a crime and yet all the criminals don't know what how far the other criminals have gone. Like, yeah, I thought that was really you know, smart. There's like an extensive, and how many times have you seen this ever? An extensive detective scene where menstruation is basically what tells you, <laughs> kind of points you in the direction of where all this shit started happening in the first place. Um, there's, yeah. I, I'm going to say zero times, yeah. personally. There's but. a very suspenseful <laughs> menstruation calculation scene. Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. It is. Um, well, I was just I was going to add to just kind of what we're talking about and like this lifestyle and this system. It's it it also made me think of like the Stanford prison experiment. Like, I mean, you guys know about that, like where they just took a group of college kids and made some of them pretend to be prisoners and some of them pretend to be guards. Yeah. And then it just went to hell over a course of a weekend. Yeah. It's like these women outside of these palace walls should have no beef with each other whatsoever, right? I mean, there's just right. really like it would almost be in their best interest to all help one another you know it's yeah. like in a better world these things would not you know you would not have one beating the other but man it's just it, it is really i thought just from a societal standpoint when you establish those kind of authority figures and those jobs to do and those rules to follow yeah um oh man it's just crazy to to watch uh the level of cruelty that people are willing to inflict and then willing to witness without um you know, uh, some sort of retribution, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so we should go back to that is what I'm saying. <laughs> the good old days. Yes. The good, I call them the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this brought up another question for me and this was, this was sort of a solitary moment that I don't feel had much bearing on the things that happened, but so, uh, a, an elder nurse is, uh, murdered by the ghost. Uh, and she, I, 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 at least I assumed she was murdered. Uh, Wait, which one are you talking about? The one in like the little rickshaw? Yeah, yeah she was okay. killed by She's the. Being carried yeah, around. She's killed. yeah, she was killed by the mistress's uh, advisor. Yes. Okay. So, uh, uh, we have the scene where the where our our main hero nurse comes out and you know feels for a pulse. Cut to they're in the nurse's quarters and they've got her sitting on the table where they had the, the, the other corpse a while back laying down. Right. So she's sitting there and the nurses, the, the young nurses aide who has taken to smoking weed or something every now and again, she's, she's just smoking stuff. Right. I love that character. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought love, that character love that character. Great. <clears throat> but okay. So, so she, she lights a pipe that we had seen this elder nurse smoking earlier in the movie and then brings it over to her and tries to put it to her mouth. And then discovers that in the mouth is this record of menstruation that they're going to like get their biggest clues from. My question is, what was the nurse's aide doing? Was, was was the elder nurse not dead? Was smoking going to bring her back to life? That was towards the end of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, this this is almost when they're about to like crack the whole case. Uh, I I yeah. did not pick up on did the I fact jump too that far she ahead? was going to let. No. I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, which, it's yeah. hard not to talk about this thing 
Uh, it's because I made it a sort of circular a little bit because of so much is revealed at the end that pays off the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know what? I did not look at that scene and think, oh, this girl is trying to bring back this dead woman uh, to life. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't get that at all. Okay. Well, well, I mean, why, why was she putting the pipe to the woman's mouth? I don't, I don't even remember her doing that. I thought she just noticed something in the mouth. Yeah. But maybe she did. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'll, I'm I'll, sure. I'll try to find the clip. But maybe okay. <laughs> we can put it up, and maybe I just need to watch it again. But because she tried to put the pipe, as I remember, she tried to put the pipe to the woman's mouth, and then she was like, "Oh, there's something in her mouth." And then like, maybe oh, she okay. just thought it would look funny, like a weekend at Bernie's kind of situation, you know? <laughs> they were gonna bring her back, and whenever she heard reggae jams, she was gonna start <laughs> start dancing. Yeah, maybe dancing maybe she was palace. too high. <laughs> Okay, well, since we're asking questions, I do have a, another one mm-hmm. on that same sort of level. Okay. There is a scene where I think this is after the detective nurse has basically figured out the whole shebang, I think. Right. Um, she's running away uh, with the baby, the young prince. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the ghost, the ghost appears, or is that just the Yes, well, the, the ghost of the hanging girl appears. Right, right. You have the you have the hand on the shoulder thing, and then she looks up in the tree, and the girl's hanging there and drops on her, which I thought was great. great shots, by the way. way. I love that. Yeah, super cool. (laughs) So the detective gives the baby to the. That's why I was confused whether she gave the baby to the ghost or to the prince's pretend mother, the the head concubine. Anyway, detective nurse falls down the hill. Detective nurse. That should Um, that's the American title. Go ahead. (laughs) Detective nurse falls down the hill. Um, she's injured. They bring her back to the palace. Um, they sit her in a chair and they, don't they like slice her hand open? Do you remember that? Well, yes. There's well, a hand well, slicing. Well, first, first they're like that kind of did. trying to crack her knees, I think, and trying to get yeah. some information out of oh, her. That which was is rough. Next. Yeah. And, and incidentally, I had no idea who was sitting in the chair. That's, this is my whole experience until like later. But then, yeah. yeah. But then afterwards, <laughs> yeah. Correct. So afterwards, the, uh, is it, the, is it, was that the head maid who came to her and was, and was saying, you know, asking her something? And she gave that great little speech about, you know, basically I, I became too tired of uh, pretending not to hear, pretending not to see, pretending not to know, like all that stuff. Right. Or, or, or right. something along those lines, which is also great. But yeah, and then, and then they slice her hand and it's almost like they're doing like a, like a blood oath ceremony. Right. Like I thought they were going to. Killer. I thought everyone was like moving in. Uh, in, in I on think her she thought she was going to be killed too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was just letting her know that she was now on the inside with the select few of them that had to protect the mistress and the throne and all of that and protect right. the secrets. Okay. Yeah, and 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 so then then the question for me is, and I agree with that. So the question for me is, is is, is this kind of her capitulation to? This is just how the world is. Like I can't fight this type of thing. I mean, basically, at the end, she like has it. that job, right? Basically, her exposing the harsh realities of the situation, yeah, got her a promotion, right? <laughs> but but then but the the movie also totally uh, 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 wiped my mind clean at this point, uh, a little earlier than that point, actually, because. Uh, Hebin was one of the few characters I could keep straight and I knew who she was. And then, and then she gets attacked by the ghost. And the next thing you know, she, she is floating around and attacking people with her hair. 
and and killing them that way. And then I was like, wait a second, wait a second, is she a ghost now? And then and then every now and again you get you see like the scar from Wolryung, the girl who was hung first. You're like, okay, so wait a second. So is the ghost the ghost is just appearing to be Heben? And yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Like like the last shot is like, I'm pretending I'm the ghost pretending to be this woman, which is great as a twist and awesome as an ending right. for a movie. But for me, who couldn't re- recognize a damn person through the whole thing, it was like the it was like the worst <laughs> trick ever. It was, <laughs> it was a like, bad trick. Oh my trick. god! I think that's when I finally really got it, and it also kind of has a great chilling ending shot, uh, just of oh, her yeah. and her face, and then just pulling out of the thing, and the doors closing on you. Like, uh, like that was a fantastic ending. You know what, Craig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it does occur to me now that. Uh, Maybe the whole point of this is is that all these women are interchangeable in this society. You know, it doesn't hurt the theme. That's true. My right? I mean, utter confusion works does not organically. Hurt the theme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm gonna leave it yeah. at that. And uh, what I found charming, something that I found charming, yeah. is that, and um, this is probably what would happen if um, Damien Leahy tried to direct an action sequence. Is that because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not interested in what goes into that. That's just really not my thing. Sure. But that sequence where the uh, nurse is chased by that guy and they have that altercation in the woods. Yeah. That's the only part of the film that did not have any confidence in, in the way it was shot and the way it was cut together. Sure. And it was funny because I was like, I saw in that what I... I saw in that the potential mistakes that I would make if I tried to direct something like that because I'm not <laughs> that guy. Well, the whole movie I thought was was really well sort of uh, contained and, and everything feels really tight and, uh, and on top of you a little bit. There's very few sort of wide establishing shots of this palace. I mean, I honestly couldn't. If you asked me to draw a picture of the palace as a whole, forget it. Like I would have no sort yeah. of clue how to do that. And I think that's an interesting choice. Maybe it's done a little bit out of necessity. I also read that this uh, the director worked on another movie prior to this, that, and they used the exact same set. It's actually a so TV it's ma- show. Okay, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So maybe it was just a matter of, I'm going to make it look a little bit different, or... or but it didn't bother me. I mean, like I said, it sort of, again, it kind of helped the claustrophobia of this world a little bit, um, the way yeah. it was shot. Uh, but I will say, like... Um, the uh, even just the sort of like simple jump scare of the girl that's hanging in the very beginning. Um, you know, it's this other maid that's that finds her and then she touches the body and the body drops just a little bit on the rope, right? Or on the cloth, yeah. like that works for me. There was, uh, do you remember when, um, I think it's the main concubine? I mean, I think it takes a when you're doing a film like that. It, you've got to have a lot of confidence in your material to yeah. shoot so much of it in just broad daylight. Yeah. During the day. That's a good point too. Yeah. You know they don't do. I mean there is there is you know a fair amount that shot at night, but they do a lot of this. Just a lot of this storytelling, suspense building, all of that, just during the afternoon. Sure. You know, in 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 daylight, and I I don't think a lot of films, I I don't think a lot of films would be confident enough in their material in regards to being a mystery and all that. I think you would see a lot of filmmakers try to 
use a lot of the visual conventions of the genre to boost their material, to put their material over. And I thought that, that it, it was nice to see. I just thought that it, it, it showed a confidence in the filmmaking and a confidence in the cast and a confidence in the material that they didn't need to rely on those visual conventions so much. Let me ask this of you two guys, and we've talked a little bit about it, but when I was looking online today and, and just you know seeing a couple of reviews, I think most of them were just from you know, like blogs and users that aren't necessarily film journalists or critics, but uh, uh, the common complaint I saw was that the horror element was the weak point of the story, the supernatural ghost story stuff, um, to the point of being a little bit of a distraction. They thought it would have been a superior movie either without it or maybe with something... Where did you guys sort of land on that kind of overall perspective of how well they blended those two things? Did this movie need that? Because I kind of think it didn't, but I like it. Yeah, I agree with Sean. I don't think it needed it. But then when when it showed up, it was a pleasant surprise instead of an unpleasant surprise. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and, and I would also say um, that the horror in this is is very asian and and I like that too, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, just like the the trope of like the hands, kind of doing, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere, like that kind of thing, definitely comes from you know Asia. You a, a lot of that is is just the ghost is just a person with white makeup on, pretty much, and like usually long black hair, and the hair always factors into the horror somewhere. Always, and so you know you're in this traditional. South Korean world and it feels like they're telling the ghost story from a traditional South Korean point of view um mm-hmm. which I also just liked you know I mean, I mean it wasn't it wasn't the most horrifying thing I've ever seen um it it might even feel like a little bit stilted but honestly I mean some of that stuff was was really well done regardless so um yeah, I mean, I'm always happy if if there's a horror element to something. So, <laughs> Who are we yeah, kidding, there's no right? way I'm going to complain. I mean, in in my opinion, I would prefer, in my in my opinion, in in regards to, I mean, South Korea's film industry, and the films that they do put out are always very competently made. They're very well produced, even if they're on a low budget. They're very polished. They're very Hollywood in feel the way that they're shot and constructed they're just all the same variation of the same plot so I would much rather see I would much rather see more of that and less of the two note um, you know cello red shoes phone (laughs) don't say dumplings because that's awesome (laughs) no yeah dumplings let's let's leave (laughs) dumplings out of this I'd rather yeah. see I'd rather see more shadows in the palace if they're capable of making films like Shadows in the Palace then I'm even more so disappointed in you know the red shoes. Well, but but the red shoes, I mean that's that's going to be your South Korean B, you know, Z grade horror movie. It's just like, oh, people like objects that are haunted. Here's another one. You know, and they're just gonna, you know, kind of turn those out <laughs> to make like a little bit of money, and then then you get this, then you get like the the premium stuff. But yeah, I gotta brush up on the South Korean horror. You'll be hard pressed to. Um, they're incredibly forgettable. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Well, that's the thing. It's like I, I haven't seen any forgettable. I haven't seen enough to see the forgettable ones. 
but the, but for sure, like the Korean movies I've seen up until now are generally very brutal and pretty bleak. Like there's there there aren't really fun South Korean horror movies. Have you seen Sick Nurses? <laughs> no. That was more of a that was more of a fun one. Is that a flu fetish uh, porno? No, no. I mean, I, I mean, I watch yeah. that stuff too. But I mean, that's not. <laughs> that, Trust in, me, that's not what it is. In, in regards to the podcast, Sick Nurses is a South Korean horror film that's a little bit different than the rest. It's a little bit more Sam Raimi inspired. Oh, right on. Well, I. Uh... I have seen The Host, which is the same director that did Snowpiercer, um, yeah. and that's a lot of fun. I mean, that's a monster movie, yeah. basically, yeah. but that's a lot of fun. And then, obviously, I mean, for me, I've only seen a handful of movies from Korea, but Old Boy is as good as anything I've seen from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that movie old is boy amazing. Old Boy is incredible. I mean, I could see making an Old Boy or making a film like that. I think I would be... I, but I think I would be good for like one of those. Yeah. You know, like I, I couldn't see myself wanting to dedicate a career to yeah. different variations yeah. of, of the, of the, of the nastiest hateful shit that I could imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like that's a lot of your time and your emotional energy. Sure. Well, I mean, it depends on a lot on what your, what your worldview is and what you're working through in your own life, you know? Right. I have to admire the emotional stamina yeah. of of filmmakers that I don't want to say get it out of their system because that's their thing. So it's not it's just what their foundation is. Yeah. But I give them um I I just I don't I don't have the emotional I as as somebody who makes films, I don't have the emotional stamina. Like I mean, I have that simple vengeance script. Yeah, and I mean that's pro- that's probably the only thing of that that I would want to do like that, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we just figured out what you're not doing next. <laughs> yeah, are there any other movies that kind of came to mind? Uh, when watching this, because I had a couple just and thinking. Obviously, most of these are Western movies, but. Uh, again, I, what I kind of was drawn to the most about this movie, aside from, like you say, Damien, like some really interest, intricate, interesting narrative plotting, was that society. And like I, I thought of a movie like, I don't know if you've seen Black Narcissus, that um, Powell and Pressburger movie. Oh, um, wow. And also, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the movie Doubt with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams, like both of those kind of set in monasteries. Um, and then even something like Picnic at Hanging Rock, the Peter Weir movie. Oh, I love that um, movie. Yeah, I like all of those movies. Like, there's just something about, you know, these highly organized, predominantly female societies that's, uh, it's made some right material. And then, um, I don't know, we can talk about this. I don't know if you've thought any about it, either of you guys, but whether or not this sort of movie sparked anything creatively. I honestly, God, like, think you could remake this movie um, in a different setting, like, and so I, I was, I like, could this movie take place in like a college dorm? I mean, it almost could, I think. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like this that plot is so intricate that there's a way to kind of transport that into something completely modern, into something really Western that could be amazing. Um, 
you know, it's funny that the detective genre to me is one where, because I, I, I attempt to write mysteries, you know, right. and I think that is, it's, it's so difficult to do, you know, but I think it's yeah. very, you guys are talking about the like females in society and the larger picture stuff. And, um, I think that when I watched that and I, I personally felt that the writer of that script wasn't dependent on that setting to write that, that plot. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's what I thought was oh, for sure. that's what I thought was cool to me was I was like, man, the talent behind this is not dependent upon that setting to craft that good a story. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and I mean this yeah. and this movie is every bit as twisty as as something like Chinatown, which is another one that really, you know, I'm surprised that didn't pop to mind for me initially because I remember the first time watching that there was so much being thrown at me. That was another one, honestly, that like I, I started to lose the thread a little bit. Like there's Same here. there's so much going on. And and then, you know, once you've watched it, like I've I've watched it a million times now and like and and still like I'll see stuff that I didn't notice before and think, Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how that works and that and I love that. I love that feeling. And what I really liked about Shadows in the Palace was that like the best like the best examples of uh, mystery when it did come to the payoff and all that. And it had several awesome misdirects that weren't misdirects. They all fed into the plot, which I thought was perfect, which I, yeah. I always liked. There was yeah. nothing cheap about the red herrings because there really were no red herrings because they all resolved themselves. Yeah. But what I thought was neat was that when it got to the end, and I was like, man, it was right in front of me the entire time. I got so caught up in all these stories, you know, the mute girls in love with this dude. And then you got the girl that found the body originally going crazy because of this. I got so caught up in all of that and all the great, you know, narrative devices that were being used so effortlessly that yeah. I didn't realize that the answer was kind of right there in front of me from the beginning. Well, I think that's, that's usually your best mystery is the thing that's right in front of you that, that that you really can't guess. I mean, like, so I I edit a lot of true crime TV shows. Uh, very few, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, very <laughs> few of those are are unpredictable. Uh, and, and I've 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 cut one recently that was that actually was at, at least for you know a good seven minutes of it, like one good act is completely unpredictable. And like the more you hear about it, the more it like, I guess my favorite mysteries are the ones where it starts out and it looks like it's going to be one thing. And then maybe three things happen after that that completely contradict what you're thinking it could be. And so then you just start to get lost. You just feel like you're in the weeds. Like, how are all these clues like lining up this way? And that's what this story had that I was cutting. And I, and I kind of feel it's like kind of the same thing with Shadows in the Palace where you start to get into these relationships that are happening in these other places and what does this mean? Well, it could be this, it could be that. And to get people to think about all these different theories and get themselves lost so that they don't just look at what's, you know, maybe one of the more obvious ideas in the thing is, is I mean, it's great. It's great. Exactly. Because, Craig, 
this movie has show has so much confidence that it shows us the dead body. Mm-hmm. Then it immediately shows us a scene where our main detective character finds out, right, mm-hmm. that this person probably gave birth, right? right. And then in, in the immediate scene after that, it shows us the mistress with a baby. Right. And they have the confidence to do that because they say to themselves, they're not going to pick up on it if we're just that casual. Right. It's the only that's, other... That's a good it's point. The, it's the only other baby in the whole movie. Right. But we're going to go ahead and just put it out there and we're yeah. going to go forward and they're still not going to know, got not going to realize that that's what it is until the end. Yeah. Like that takes some serious balls narratively. It does. It does. <laughs> but you got to you do have to put it up there. I, I and and uh, not that I would put this in the pantheon of great mystery movies, but I I remember specifically watching Scream for the first time, which I, I like. I, I love a slasher movie that actually has some kind of mystery to it anyway. But you know, right at the beginning of that movie, you have her boyfriend show up at her window after she's just been terrorized, and and you know his, yeah. his cell phone falls out of his pocket, and it's like he did it. Yeah, he just did this. Right. And, uh, and, and, but, you know, as a movie watcher, as a savvy movie watcher, you're sitting there like, well, he clearly, he didn't do it. Right. Like, they wouldn't just tip their hand right, right now. Right. And that's, of course, that's what they did. And, yeah. And I love that. To put you in the, to put the audience in the, in the position of defending that person in their mind. Right. And like, well, they're being wrongfully accused. You know, that's, if that, if you can pull that off, that's great. The way they did it in this movie, it never even crossed my mind is that the baby. Yeah, me either. Well, there's so much else to think about, though. They're, like you're 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 still like getting settled into this entire world and trying to figure out how things work out. Like, I, yeah, I don't know why this girl was murdered because she had a baby. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, so well done. Stamp of approval from Never Heard of It. Guys, I just I, I just want to uh, I want to thank you guys for having me on here. This has been a great discussion. Well, thank you very much, man. Thank you for uh, coming on and talking with us. Uh, that was a that was a great movie to use for this uh, podcast. So I I appreciate the suggestion. I was to say, yeah, thanks for taking us overseas for a change. Uh, you know what's funny is I have not ch- chosen a movie yet. So what we're gonna do? I t- Craig, I got something I want to see if you will pass a baton to me. I'm going to throw one at you and, and only one. And if you've heard of this, it all falls apart. Okay. But I'm hoping you have I will, uh, I will pass you the baton and uh, let's hear what you got. Okay. Craig. Talk to me. Have you ever heard of a movie called The Thing with Two Heads? Yes. No! <sighs> yeah. Yeah, you know about this movie? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think uh, Mystery it? Science Theater did it a while back. Oh, 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 no, I got to see that now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. Is this is that wow. the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The white dude, white dude in a black his head. Is, black yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. Bless the well, movie. Okay, we got to watch that movie anyway. <laughs> I, I I think I've got one now that okay. I'm interested in checking out. Sure, we'll cut all this. Uh, Sean. Yes, correct. Have you heard of a film? That goes by the name Born to Win. Born to Win. I'm going to narrow it down for you because uh, there, there's there's something about uh, 
sometimes these titles are, are pretty generic. And I don't want to... Uh, okay. You know. Um, Born to Win... Well, I'm just going to say... Born to Win, it's, it's from 1971. You're going back to the 70s again. Um, God... I'm really hoping Kenny Rogers is in it, but no, Craig, I've never heard of it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's look at that for our, <laughs> for next week's uh, movie. I think uh, I think we're all going to. I have no idea if we're going to enjoy this. Why am I going to say that? We're all in. We're going to enjoy it. We're all in for a yeah. ride. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any? Uh, where can we watch this movie, Craig? We can watch this movie for sure this time on Amazon okay. Prime. Awesome. Amazon Instant Video. You can find it. Uh, 1971's Born to Win. Rated TV 14. I don't know what that means. <laughs> weird. Well, and there is closed captioning. These I can. Oh, that's, that's good. All of that is confirmed. I I do use the closed captioning sometimes. And let's just hope that too. it is the the right movie uh, under this right title. Right. Anyway, if you have a a movie you want to suggest to us, by all means, we would definitely love to hear that. As you can see, we're, we're we keep you know reaching for straws here a little bit. Um, Look on Google. Look the podcast up. You will find our website. You will find our Twitter handle. Send us a line. Let us know what you think we should watch. Sounds good to me. That's a good plea. (laughs) 